0: Um, So today we're going to start in a new uh, study. Today we're going to launch into the book of Daniel. And, you know, all the books in the Bible, there's no scripture that's not significant or important. Um, It all has very great significance and importance. But Daniel is very unique because Jesus um, cites Daniel a lot. Um, in fact, he um, asked to be recognized by a title that Daniel gave to Messiah, Son of Man. Um, and uh, so Daniel uses this title, and Jesus adopts that as his identifying mechanism to say he's Messiah. I don't think that Jesus ever said, I am Messiah. Uh, he did say he called himself the Son of Man over a hundred times in the Gospels. And I think one of the closest times he ever came to saying, I am the Messiah, was kind of an indirect language use when he met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And she said, when Messiah comes, and Jesus said, I am he. And uh, that's about as close, I think, as he he gets to actually saying it. But Daniel describes in great detail many significant um, aspects of the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, including his triumphal entry, his trial, um, his crucifixion, and for us, excuse me, as believers today, his return. Um, and so remember in the trial of Jesus in Mark 14 verses 60 to 64, uh, Jesus, uh, replied and, uh, remained silent and made no reply against the priest. And they questioned him. And, um, and he said, uh, they said, are you the son? Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus in verse 63 says, I am Jesus. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power coming with the clouds of heaven. And that's a direct quote. From Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, this Daniel's vision of the Son of Man, and verses 13 says, I I saw in the night vision, and I saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, approaching the ancient of days, and he was led into his presence. He was given dominion, glory, and kingship that the people of every nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not ever be destroyed. So in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, we see this over and over again mark eight thirty eight matthew sixteen twenty three the son of man are twenty seven and um so this idea that the Messiah king would be executed by the state is also given in great detail in the prophecies of daniel um from gabriel and daniel nine twenty six um, and then uh the also the idea that the one of the verses in daniel chapter two, the concept of the stone. The stone that uh, was not cut with human hands, and it conquers all the kingdoms of the world and turns them to dust and ashes, and they'll be lost forever. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, Jesus is that stone, that stone of stumbling. Uh, he identified himself with that stone of stumbling in Matthew uh, 21, 44. So the story of Daniel, his book, his life, is uh, played out in the city of Babylon. Um, in fact, the great conflict between good and evil um, that is centered on the earth, that is centered between these two cities. Good morning. Uh, the holy city and the evil city. Um, so we see those cities are Jerusalem and Babylon. And um, so Daniel is indeed the story of Messiah. Um, he's the story of his birth, as exhibited by the actions of the Magi um, from the east, and the story of the city that opposes uh, God at his return. And so all that Daniel is, and all this in there, and there's a lot of cultural relevance for us, um, you know, Daniel was about six or seven hundred years before Christ. Uh, so for us, it's a you know, it's centuries ago, it's amazingly long ago, but it vividly will illustrate in the coming weeks. I think you'll begin to see so many things in the book of Daniel. And as we go chapter by chapter and verse by verse, you'll start seeing things that, that show up in our everyday lives. Um, so with that sort of background, let's say, uh, let's say a prayer. All right. Father, we are grateful for this day um, that you do call us together, and you call us like you call Daniel in a, a culture that was forsaken uh, to stand out, and help us to hear your voice, to follow your voice, to be obedient, and then receive the rewards that you grant those who are obedient to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. When you have something to say, silence is alive. When you have something to say, silence is a lie. Now, because our culture today, I would say, and you could easily make the case, is Babylon. Um, and uh, we are foreigners in that culture, and God calls us to lives of truth that reflect scripture. Um, we should be prompted, our actions should be prompted in cultural situations. Um when we encounter, just like these four, chapter one today, and Daniel, we're going to look at the story of the four Hebrew boys, the, the young men who did not give into the culture of the king of Babylon, and they raised their voices when it mattered, and um in chapter one, Daniel is removed from Babylon. Let's go to Daniel chapter one. We'll start reading verse one. And the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered it into the hand of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, along with some of the articles of the house of God. He carried these off to the land of Shinar, to the house of God, where he put them in the treasury of his God. So this event, this um, fall of Jerusalem at the hand of the Babylonians was predicted by God uh, through Isaiah and it was uh during the reign of king hezekiah after god extended hezekiah's life for 15 years and sometimes we can read this story kind of like a uh uh and see it through our modern eyes and sometimes we see it in the terms of like one team fought and uh the other team won and so then the one team is in charge now and you know so they take the golden trophy home with them you know, when you you have certain championships, the team that wins get the trophy, they take it home. And so you kind of can read this verse. You can think, well, the king won. He's just taking the articles of gold out of the temple. And he's taken them back to his place because he won the prize. But really, there's a lot more that's going on here. That certainly is part of it. You know, to the victor go the spoils. But the Babylonians are, think about what they're doing. So they go into the temple of the God of Jerusalem. And they take the very things The identifying aspects of what makes Jewish people Jewish people. They are robbing them of all the mechanisms by which they can engage in their approach and worship of God. They're taking the means by which they can approach God. So when the Babylonians take these things, their relationship with God is broken. And they can't engage in worship. They can't seek forgiveness anymore. All these things are over. Because the temple is shut down. So when Nebuchadnezzar takes away the people in the Temple of the Articles, it's interesting the, the record of it, the actual record of what happened in Second Kings is in uh, twenty four thirteen. It says this, as the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar also carried off the treasures from the house of the Lord and the royal palace, but catch these words, and he cut into pieces all the golden articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the Temple of the Lord. So it's not just he's taking these things away so you your system can't can't function anymore. I'm unplugging the parts that make it work. He's taking it away and he's destroying it. Now that's the way the enemy of God does today. Um and you know, remember John ten ten. I've been in another Bible study I've been doing John ten this week. So 10.10 10 is just on my mind right now. The enemy comes for three purposes. What are they?
1: Oops.
0: Still kill and destroy, and that's what he does. So once these vessels of the instruments of worship have been removed, stolen, then what's he do? Then it so the worship cannot continue. So then he begins to break them, to destroy them, and so the evil one is cutting off the approach of the people to God. And as crazy as it sounds, Scripture says that God is still at work, even in all of this. That the people are getting robbed of their means to approach God, but God's still doing something. Very unique, very special, very important. I mean, I would make the case that if this had not happened, we would not have three wise men figurines in our nativity displays if this had not happened. Because I, I think that you can make the case later on that the reason those men show up, and, and I just say up, it, it was more than three, um, but the reason they, three gifts, but more than three men, but the reason they show up is directly because of what happens here and because Daniel is put in this place. Yes, sir.
2: Uh, one of the things, just as an introductory comment to the book of Daniel, there are different kinds of literature in the Bible. There's prophecy, there's poetry, there's history, there's doctrine. You know, like, for instance, the Apostle Paul. And we have to make distinctions as to what kind of book this is. It's the only book in the um, mm-hmm. Old Testament that's apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the book of Revelation in the sense that, and this makes your first point, that it's written to people under dire persecution as an encouragement to uh, maintain the faith and to uh, give encouragement in this, in, in in this, in spite of overwhelming, looking like the evil one is winning, Was which that it looks life. like today. Yeah,
1: entire.
0: Yeah, entire. because we'll follow in on this. Yeah. Um, there's gonna be, in fact, this is what they. Um, referred to as a 400 years of silence, um, is, is at the end of Daniel. Anyway, I would make the case that there, there aren't 400 years of silence. And one of the chapters of Daniel is a 400 years written out and God says, here's what's going to happen. I'll see you in 400 years. That's just, I would make that case, uh, for that. Thank you. Those are all very good points. Um, so in the destruction, in this interruption, God still is at work. Um, there's an interesting verse, Ezekiel 14, 14, where Job, Noah, and Daniel are clustered together. It's an interesting little study. Everyone want to pull that out. So God's the one who's always in control of events. So we need to be aware of this. So we exercise very little ability to direct our lives. So ultimately, God is the master weaver. He constructs uh, these intricate tapestries that make up our lives as he takes and brings all these different people along our way. And he's making this masterpiece of beauty and wonder out of wrecked people like us. He's able to take and make something beautiful and wonderful out of it and work out his purposes. So God did not leave the people without hope, like you're saying. And at this point, that is an encouragement for us and for anybody who's going through difficult or trying times. That God is always at work even when you don't see him. He still has a plan he's working out. Uh Jeremiah twenty seven, eighteen, God provides a way for redemption and restoration from the beginning of these troubles. But the, the the timetable for God's clock is his calendar, is his clock. And Daniel will not get to accelerate it um, or shorten it or extend it, and that's the same thing for us to remember. So the means and the method of that restoration is God's doing, and he decides who will be the instrument of that restoration and that redemption. And in our current cultural revolution that we're going through, the enemies of God are doing the same thing they did to Daniel in Babylon. They are seeking to shred every fabric of society that has been specifically instituted by God. Think about that. Marriage has to be torn apart. As an institution, the definition of family must be torn apart. Um, The definition of truth must be torn apart. What's that? Meritocracy must be destroyed. Yeah, unless you're playing sports, and then it counts. And the role of mother as the one who gives birth must be torn apart. So now you must say that men can become pregnant. And now we must tear apart all the definitions of male and female, we must tear apart the creed of our faith. Remember, Pastor Maureen was talking about the sparkle creed. And this list just goes on and on. So uh, verse 3, chapter 1, it goes like this. And then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Uh, and, and so see what's happening here. Ashpenaz is the chief of staff, essentially, uh, for the king. And as, as such, all these young men are in his charge. Now um as it's very unfortunate part right here that we have to I'm just going to bring it up so he is the chief of the eunuchs in the court of the king so this means that Daniel in all likelihood had to undergo castration as part of the punishment of being an exile and being a slave and then being, being called to this position to serve in the king's court. So these young men, these teenagers, by the county of most scholars, they're, they're being robbed of ever having a family of their own, of fulfilling the purpose, the ultimate purpose of everybody's physical existence is to pass on your DNA to the next generation, be fruitful and multiply. And the evil one is fulfilling those words again of John 10.10. 10. You know, these men, they're, they're, their future is being destroyed and robbed from them. They're, in fact, their identity is men is being robbed from them. So that, uh, it's not only that what they did to them, but it's the uh, sins and failures of others that Daniel and these young men are suffering for. So here in Daniel one, three, the evil king is practicing what Satan does. He's removing the best and the brightest from the family of the line of God in an attempt to frustrate any resistance, uh, to the plans of evil and interrupt any plans of God. And by taking out potential leaders, so these would be the people that if there's going to be a return, if there's going to be a revolt, if there's going to be rebellion, this would be the, the group that it would come from. So he's trying to, 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 to nip it in the bud. Um, and so he's taking out these people. And he also takes out people that would guide them into the right ways of thinking, into the right pathways of approaching life and approaching God. So Satan is an evil and the evil king are attempting to impede the people of God and the way a God-centered way approach of living and life. So for us, our cultural relevance for us today in these verses is that um, the evil one and his agents and culture, specifically government-run schools, uh, especially in California, um, where they are promoting this very same idea of castrating young boys, making them into eunuchs uh, for the aims of the state, and um, any castration of young boys under the age of 18, the sterilization of young girls under the age of 18. In California, as you know, is a sanctuary state now for this practice so that teachers can take children to a clinic and engage in these practices. And the parents have no right to, to, to say anything about it. And they aren't allowed to have any knowledge. And if they re, uh, reject and object to it, the children are taken away and become wards of the state. Yes, sir.
2: Yeah, there's currently a house bill in uh, South Carolina to protect the rights of parents when it comes to their children. It's in committee
0: right now. Well, it's unfortunate <clears throat> we have to have these conversations, but it's where we are. The mayor of the governor, excuse me, of Ohio, just uh, vetoed something very similar to this, which would have prevented boys from participating in girls' sports and stopping these activities. And he said, no, we'll go ahead with that, which is very disturbing. <clears throat> Let's continue. Verse four, young men without blemish, handsome, gifted in all wisdom, knowledge, and quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace, and to teach them the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Verse 5, the king assigned them daily provisions of the royal food and wine. They were to be trained for three years, after which they were to enter the king's service. Now, um, here we see the re-education camp. This is really what it is. It's a re-education camp. So you have these young people, they're good looking, they're capable, they're able to learn, and they're taken from their families. And now, the power of the state, the imperial Babylon, it will be deployed to reshape these young people, to remold them so that they will resemble and reflect not the culture of their birth, nor the traditions of their family, but the culture of the state. And it's interesting that the project that's re-education takes three years to complete, 36 months. That's the same space of time for a typical college career or high school education. Nine months, over four years, 36 months. So in the span of 36 months, a college professor can can reshape the thinking of your children to be your enemy, who will oppose all you have ever taught them. And the things we think... On, uh, the effect and the approach of life. So when you, uh, when you react to life is a direct reflection of how you see the world. And so we try to train our children, our families to see the world through the lens of scripture and God being there. So even when something bad like this happens, God is still at work and doing something, but the state would choose to not have God in the lives of your children. This is the intent of the rulers of Babylon. And this is what's happening in America today. Uh, and it's been that way for about a, over a 100 years. And in some sense, the American captivity to the ways of spiritual Babylon have lasted longer than the captivity of physical Israel to physical Babylon. And there's two very significant distinctions uh, between America and Israel in regard to this. And it would be that first, that Israel was exported for their captivity and indoctrination. And we in America have imported the ideas of our new taskmasters, and they are here among us in our homeland in the re-education process. And the more significant difference, I think, is that Israel recognized that they were in captivity. And I think many Americans do not even recognize the indoctrination and the re-education that goes on. Don't even notice and see the tyrannical bars of the prison that are slowly being built around them day by day. Verse 5 uh, consider um, this, that they were housed, they were watched, they were reoriented all reoriented in all aspects of life to reflect the glory of Babylon. And this is more than just some six-week boot camp. You know, this isn't like where you're taking subjects and you're breaking them down, you're going to reshape them and make them into a, an American soldier or a Marine or a sailor or a flyer. You know, this is advanced officers training with a PhD program all rolled up into one. This is a massive reshaping of birth. These people will never be the same again. So I can imagine that final product that was produced by the king of Babylon was perhaps the pride of his empire and how much pleasure he would receive from parading these uh, reformed captives in his courts when visiting dignitaries would come and he would parade them about his fixtures of his wisdom and his power and his abilities to change people. So... Let's look at this number six. Let's meet these young men. Among these young men were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official came to them and gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Re-identification is the essential part of the revolution. Don't miss that. Re-identification is the essential part of the revolution. Yes, I'm sorry.
1: Highly,
0: Highly significant.
1: significant. The, the is is re- like the names of Daniel, Ubuntu, Michelle, and Azariah were Jewish names and the fact that Daniel meant God is my judge, but Bellar yeah meant keeper of hidden treasures of Baal. They were taking their names and turning them back into their gods. Like yeah. Hananiah meant grace of the Lord, and Shadrach was inspiration of the sun, which the Chaldeans worshipped. Yeah, And then Mishael was he, that is a strong god, but Meshach it was changed to Meshach, which is the goddess Shaq, which was Venus that they worshipped. Mm-hmm. And then Azariah was the Lord as a help. And Abednego ironically means um, when they changed it, meant servant of the shining platter. And so they stripped their not just their like they stripped their names of the god that they served and made them you know like put on them the name of the gods it's like naming me the, the daughter of Allah yeah <laughs> I so, mean I hate to say that but but that's what they yeah. doing, right like their yeah their names were they even changed their names to match their culture
0: yeah and and it's, uh, it's uh, thank you for that yeah there's some notes uh, there are some. In your notes, there's some more things about this as well. And so all specs, all aspects of life um, before the revolution must be erased and they have to be renamed. And for us today, what do we think about? We think about um think about this. What do the trans fascinated worshipers of Satan do to children in America today? Let us rename you. Your birth name. We're gonna give you a new name. So now, so in America, Hannah becomes Henry. Mary becomes Marty. Steve becomes Eve. And the evil one shows us this, this modus operandi once again. And so, yeah, there's a list. So uh, everybody's, and, and it's it's very, so Daniel is, says God is my judge. Belteshazzar says Baal's prince. So then the one who was originally intended by his parents at birth to identify with God Almighty is now branded by the name of God's enemy, Baal. And the same thing goes on for Hananiah. So God is favored. He now becomes uh, the little friend of God, the royal scribe. Again, this erasure of all this association with the past, with the true God, with the culture, and they're reformed to take on the monikers of these false gods of Babylon. Um, and One that really stuck me was Michelle, um, which what I found said, who is what God is? Who is what God is? Who, who can compare to God, right? And so they were mocking God and mocking his name. They changed it to who is what Aku is? Aku is the moon god. So who's the moon god in ancient Arabia? Allah. Yeah. Um, so Azariah is Jehovah is, has helped, becomes Abednego, servant of Nebo. Or this one said worshiper of Mercury. So, either way you look at it, any of the translations you go at, the complete thing that's happening here is they are completely being robbed of association with the divine God, the true God, and being associated with false gods. So, the t- evil one is attempting to steal a godly heritage from these young men, and I think it's a principle uh, for us we should look at. So, in uh, Daniel 1-7, the world will try to rename you, will try to label you into their forms and their patterns. But the child of God has identity in Christ alone. Your identity is not found in the label the world puts on you or some machination that they try to work on you. God owns them and God owns you. The culture doesn't own you and the culture doesn't own them. And God labels us with the words mine. You belong to God. You are his own. So the believer is claimed by God, and there's no power that can supersede the authority of God on those claims. Let's continue in verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which they drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Uh, Daniel one eight. Daniel did not appear to have a choice, in this, um, life, this re-education, he's a grunt. He's just some punk kid that's coming here. Uh, you're, you're our slave now. You're our conqueror. You're our conquest. And they are, uh, ruthlessly exacting exactly what they want out of him, um, in the destruction of the lives of these young men they've conquered. So Daniel is a conquered one in the equation with no apparent rights or voice. And yet Daniel's relationship with God brings him to the point of saying no. This is wrong. I will not go along with it. Yes, sir.
2: This entire story, uh, I think, on a macro level, is a description of slavery. There's a true story that was not a movie that was not produced in America. It was produced in England uh, called 12 Years a Slave. And central to slavery, which we don't see in any modern movies, is the taking away of your language. They were not allowed to write. They were not allowed to speak in regular English. They had to do sort of a patois, you know, they, had to, they, they sounded like slaves. They couldn't talk to, to people like regular people. They took away their language. They took away their access. They they could not write or spell. They had to listen because, mm-hmm. you know, um, taking away your language in, in here would be probably removing any access to their culture, their previous culture. Um... And I think the second issue about slavery is that we see going on in the United States is, I think, epitomized in a book club that I'm reading that I'm supposed to do with a bunch of women. It's called, uh, uh, what was it called? Um, uh, Handmaid's Tale, where we're taught to hate all women and, or to hate all men because they're the oppressor class. But you see what's going on with slavery is and every every single thing, whether it's transgender or whatever it is, it's always division. You have to hate somebody. Uh, uh, you have to hate mega because they're the terrorists. You have to hate people that are anti-abortion because they're bigots. You have to hate. You know, it, it's it's a um, a slavery is a religion of hate and division. That's the macro thing. They want to divide you. Jesus wants to unite us. Sla- the enslaver wants to divide us and teach us to hate, 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 hate. Take away our language. Um, those are very macro things that we see going on here as well. Um, the, the division and and the hatred uh, that are involved in every every kind of slavery. If you have not seen the movie Twelve Years a Slave, it is eye popping. It is the best single movie I've ever seen regarding our history. And Americans were too cowardly to make it. It's just amazing. It's a true story. Uh, a, a, a black person who is successful, uh, businessman in Boston, is hijacked and brought down to Alabama. And twelve years he's a slave, not allowed to speak as as a, as a human being, not allowed to write letters. If if they found out he was able to write, they would they would kill him. Um, so he was able to see what slavery was like in the South and come back and tell about it. It's an amazing story. Um, this is a story about slavery. And, and the evil one enslaves us, enslaves our minds, divides us, makes us hate, everything the opposite of what Jesus does.
0: Yes. Yes, sir.
2: I actually think it's a, it's.
0: The
1: approach
0: of George Orwell's 1984. Yeah, <laughs> renaming everything. Yeah. yeah, no, it is. Yeah, and so um, and if I, Past Marine were here, he could probably speak to this. But I know I've I've spoken to people in uh, I've heard stories of people in communist countries where um, they actually take words out of the vocabulary. Okay. Oh,
3: yeah.
0: So if you if you if the, if the word depression is not a word in the official language of your uh, of your country, how can you suffer from it because it doesn't exist. For example, yes, sir. I mean,
4: I saw an article this week. I think it was United Methodist Church was apologizing for using the word "mother" and "father" mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all that kind of nonsense. We're finding certain words are. Yesterday, I was reading something. Mm-hmm. They talked about it was the etymology of the word came from it was a it came from racist yeah. originated words, so we could not use that word.
3: Oh, with, all I can't keep up with the rules. So yeah, know.
0: it is it is maddening, isn't it? you have something?
3: Uh only a point on uniting and dividing. Um, I've always said Satan's the great divider, Jesus the great uniter, until I started reading some of the scriptures Jesus said about dividing. And and I had to put those two together because it didn't make sense to me. And it does though once once I realized what God's saying is when you come to me, I will unite you from all corners of the world. Whatever the uniting piece will be me. However, I will divide because you must make your choice for me or the world. Mm -hmm. And the world will give you a thousand choices. I will give you one me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Yes, he is the great uniter, but he is the great uniter after the great divide. Yeah,
0: he unites the, he,
3: the,
0: God unites the divisions among us in the unity of his son. But yes,
3: He is a divider at first because that has to happen. You cannot have light and darkness. You cannot have uh, Baal and God. Yeah. You must have God alone. And then you will be united in that. And then all colors, all races, all languages, all can be united in that. But apart from that, depart from me, you wicked. I never knew you. Yeah, you're gonna be divided. Yes, Dei is. Uh, you mean
0: die? D-E-I.
2: Well, diversity, no, equity, it's and
0: it's die. It's
3: die. Yeah.
2: And inclusivity yeah. are all lies. Diversity, equity, yeah. equity is not equality. And inclusivity. How does that work with the NFL, for instance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, would you would you throw away meritocracy and have DEI work on your team? See how well your team would work. Of course, nobody wants to talk about that. They're all lies. Diversity is a quota system that is yeah, yeah, that the ELCA uh, practiced way before, back in the eighties, trying to get their uh, ruling office down in Higgins Road in Chicago to be more. Um, uh, diverse, even though Lutherans are uh, up in the Midwest are mostly Swedes and Norwegians, we, ne- we had to look more black and brown. Uh, so we had to impose quotas uh, uh, to bring in people that were not qualified. So diversity is exactly the opposite of what it says. Equity is exactly the opposite of equality, and inclusivity is everything except inclusivity. It includes everybody except you guys, in Jesus Christ. So they're all lies. Language is inverted and made into a lie so that it becomes worthless.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yes, sir?
2: Uh, I mean,
4: you know, he made some good points, but, uh, you know, what amazes me about this, and I'm sitting here looking over here at this you know, young man sitting behind Pastor Perry, and I'm wondering... I mean, he's probably about the age of Daniel, mm-hmm. all of them at this time. And despite all this re-education and boot camp and all that, as far as I know, these young Jewish guys didn't have any Jewish elders and religious leaders there. But somehow on their own, they resolved, it says. They yeah. resolved. So the question is, you know, how did they get to the point that they were able to see so clearly what
2: Pastor Perry is saying that what was being told to them is like why? Well, it has to be the Holy Spirit. Brandon, what
0: do you have?
3: Well, something interesting is like this, like my mind is some Daniel is very is a very interesting character to me because oftentimes we view like rebellious people with those types of spirit, we view them as bad, but God Daniel had a rebellious spirit. Like Daniel was not a rule follower like my mom and I. He was much more rebellious. <laughs> okay. But so if you
1: count,
3: it was really cool to see uh, you know, God uses those types of people in the world. Yeah. Um, so
0: so that, that really drives us right into our application for this passage. Because uh, Daniel is sitting here and he's asking, is there another way? You know, must I do this? Can't we find an alternative where I will not violate my conscience? And just by asking, just by asking, God moves in the heart of Daniel's taskmaster. And Daniel finds favor. Another way to provide glory to God. So how often do we miss opportunities for God to get glory in situations because we're not willing to raise our voice when we're in that situation where our silence is a lie because we are not voicing what we know and what the Holy Spirit is pricking our conscience inside of us to say or do. Yes, sir. GK
2: Chester said there's only one
3: angle at which you can stand straight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
3: There's
2: a lot of angles at which you
0: can fall. Yeah, there are a lot of angles at which you can fall, but there's only one at which you can stand straight. So uh, let me ask you this. How often do we miss opportunities to proclaim who God is and tell why we are faithful to him? Because we remain silent in that situation. We're cowed into submission. So when something doesn't feel right, doesn't sit right with you. When you're being asked to do something and the Holy Spirit is sitting there and he's testifying to your spirit and you do not see an option. You don't see another way. Another way this can work out without me doing something that I feel is wrong. Maybe this time you need to go to the person in charge of your situation and ask them, I see what you want to do here. I see what you're trying to accomplish. Is there another way we can do this? There's another way we can make this work out. Can we still get there together? And so what we see here is what God does. Because Daniel had no authority to change his diet. When this guy's going to say, dude, if I do what you want me to do, and it goes south, my head's getting cut off. And oh, you don't mean that much to me. But he still stands up and he still speaks. So sometimes in our flesh, our flesh, we can limit the power of God in our situation because we see there's no way out. And then we also, we limit the opportunity for God to receive glory in our situation because we are afraid. We can be afraid of those around us in the form of peer pressure. We also can be afraid of those above us in the form of fear pressure. So in the end, I think it's all a matter of asking God for greater faith. Remember what the man came to Jesus and his son was sick and he asked for healing for his child and he said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. So even in that situation, be encouraged in those words. Let's go to verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should I see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? And then you would endanger my head before the king. You can cut my head off. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief official had appointed over over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, "Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given only vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance." With those young men around us who are eating the royal food, and deal with your servants accordingly to what you see. So he he consented to this test, verse fourteen, and he touched them for ten days. So Daniel sees what is going on here, um, and he decides to raise his voice. Yes, ma'am. In in, it, I
1: think he raised his voice with respect, not with. I'm going to show you, or this is the way it's
0: not my God says this, but the way it is he said with a respect to the king, and that God gave him yeah, he did, so god God rewards our obedience in difficult situations, so notice what you're saying here, Daniel did not lead a rebellion to overthrow the Roman Empire over the Babylonian Empire, you know. That's not what he did. He came with respect to those in authority over him, and he asked for this permission for this to happen. So um, so he does what he can in the area of his responsibility. We all have areas of responsibility, areas of influence, where we're supposed to be doing things. And, and everybody's got a different area. Everybody's got a different responsibility, and we've got something different we're supposed to be doing with people around us for God. But he does that. We need to raise our voices where we can and stand with the principles of Scripture and God, uh, where we see culture pushing against the ways of God. So I go back to this quote. It's actually quoted by Jordan Peterson. And it really stood out to me when I was preparing this study. When you have something to say, silence is a lie. And that is so very convicting to me in situations where I have been somewhere and I've been pressured by fear of those around me or those above me. And in my silence, I allow the lie to go forward. So I want to I want to bring another challenge to you, your daily portion. And one more thing I'll say about that is that, and I think I took it out of your notes. So it might show up later. I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. Is when we give into the renaming, the rebranding of things and ideas and culture, we are giving into the lie. And then when we propagate it by saying it again, the new label, the new term, the new idea, at that point, we are literally imprisoning ourselves inside of those lies. Yes, ma'am. Um, Isn't
1: that what you speak was in
0: 1984? Yeah. Glenn mentioned. Yeah. Glenn? Orwell? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. in the, in yeah.
1: The, uh, department of mis-
0: Yeah, I know. Aren't you glad we have one here now? Yes.
1: I have a plaque that says, God never asks about your ability or inability, just your availability.
0: That's very good.
1: And that says what we were talking about all morning. Yeah. You need to be available, and God will take care of the rest.
0: Yeah, and that is what God's looking for. He's not looking for the ready, he's looking for the willing. And so we need to have that availability to be ready for that. So I want to challenge you just personally. What's your daily portion? Um, and it's not necessarily what you're, uh, what you're eating or drinking, not that daily portion, but what are you feeding your mind? Where are you dwelling? What's dominating your thoughts? Um, if you are, uh, and don't get me wrong, because I'm, I'm, I used to be very guilty of this. If you are listening to talk radio all the time or watching Fox News or MSNDC, whatever you're doing, if you're taking all the information in, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be very depressed. All right? So you, you need to be aware of what's going on around you. But after an hour of sucking that stuff up, everything after that is just a repeating of propaganda that's pushing an idea and a narrative into your mind. And you've got what you need to know. Just walk away from that. Um, And so I used to be like that. So I don't cast stones on that. Yes,
3: sir. I might have shared this with y'all, but my radio broke in my car. (laughs) So I can't touch and, and change radio stations anymore. But I can still get them if I do it on my steering wheel. The radio still works, but I just can't easily go click, 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 and put my presets in it. So when I got it redone, I had to click down on the Sirius, and I got to the Billy Graham channel. And I thought, oh, that's way up there, the 150s or 148 or something. I never go up there, but there it is. So for two weeks now, I've been stuck on the Billy Graham channel. That's good because stuff. I don't want to go through the hassle of changing the radio station. I used to tell young people if you really want to get a condensed, quick, one year. Um, education. Listen to old sermons. Pastors spend 20 hours working on a 20 minute sermon, 20, 25 minute sermon. They're going to pack tons of study into 20 minutes. If it's a good sermon, 15 20 minute sermon. You want to get a quickie cliff notes, study sermons. So, for two weeks, that every time I get in my radio, every time I get in my car, Billy Graham is preaching a sermon.
0: The Bible says,
3: Yeah, oh, God, I can do it. Um, but but I'm believing that that two weeks of immersion into sermon after sermon after sermon. Is is gonna bear a lot of fruit with me. It already has because it comes out during the days. Well, because he's quoting people, he's quoting scripture, he's quoting thoughts, he's quoting ideas, and of course his are always geared towards you know making your decision for Christ. But anyway, yeah, just comment on stick it on there maybe and don't so then have the discipline. Mine so have break
0: if you days. don't have if you don't have uh, satellite radio, there are some local yeah. channels. One hundred one oh five point one and one
3: oh four point nine um is Moody. what's that? Ninety one point five. Moody is up on one oh
0: seven. Yeah, those but those um those produce uh, great biblical content. Um it's sermons all day long. Um and like you're saying, uh so for me, I will I'll put my toes into the news and information pool for about five (laughs) minutes a day. And it's like, yep, that's about all I need. (laughs) Click. And I and and you go back and you you click on a sermon, and oh if it's if it's a good Bible-based sermon, um get the right radio station, but immediately it's it's amazing that the truth is being poured into your brain. You're being reminded of concepts of God truths of God, the reality of reality and it, it changes the way you way you are so you know turn off the news and open your Bible, meditate, pray in silence, listen to some christian music any of that is better than filling your mind with the the cultural propaganda and it's just cultural propaganda it's really just it's so very sad news ain't news anymore i don't i I don't know i i, I tell me when you find news because it's it's not news you have to even Even the part you think is news, you got to filter that to even figure out what they're really trying to tell you. So we can also look at the time. I'm going to hit some toes here. So curl your toes and under your shoes real quick. The time we spend on social media can also be something that we are feeding on. And that can be very bad as well. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Social media is a great example of the evil one rebranding and renaming things. Because social media... Is not social. I'm in a room full of people on social media, and I have no social interaction with people immediately around me. It's a it's a it's not social. It's a lie, but we say it all the time, and when we do, we. There's the example. You are putting the bars of the prison around yourself because we embrace the lie. And why have we embraced it? Because we've never even thought about what we're saying and what it means. Social media is not socialist. Anti-social media. Because you, so- I went to the College of Charleston. Wow, this must have been 10, 15 years ago. I was doing a job right, right near the campus, and I, I, I went to maybe use the bathrooms. So I walked into the new library, and I walked in, and there are these college students. I went there. I mean, it's just very different now. College students, as many people as in here lined up sitting on these little uh, concrete and brick things leading in, and they're all in silence. No one's talking. People right beside me, all around me. No one's talking. And you've imprisoned yourself. Yes, sir.
2: Yeah, I went to a restaurant at the church one day. It was like 12 people sitting mm-hmm. at a big table. Ah. And every one of them was like mm-hmm. this.
0: You have the opportunity for a real person, for real interaction around you, and you're not doing it. So anyway, so all right, so I've said enough of that. Let me, let me scroll down very quickly. Um, and actually, the restaurant was in my notes as well. So that may not be you. So let me just throw one more out there. Maybe you're dwelling on the past. Maybe that's what you're feeding on. Maybe that's what you're taking in every day. So it could be a past hurt. It could be a past glory. It could be a wound. Just know this. God redeems. So the same way God is going to redeem the nation of Israel and pull them out of this captivity later on in the story of Daniel, God can redeem us. He can redeem our wounds from the past. He can redeem our sins and failures from the past. He can redeem anything if we're willing to give it to him. So don't rob yourself of the being used by God in the moment because you're too consumed in the media you're too consumed in the cultural propaganda. You're too consumed in social media or you're too consumed in your past to stand up and speak out in the moment and say something. All right. Remember, silence, When you have something to say is a lie. So um, in his wisdom, God can take all those wounds of our sins and other sins and he will work them. He always works them for the glory of his kingdom. It just happens. So what do you take in consistently every day? I'm not sitting here casting stones at anybody. I'm asking you to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your life, and you just think about that and let it change you. I'm not going to say what I was going to say there. We're just going to move right on past that. So, <laughs> all right, let's keep moving because we're running out of time. So, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where your life is mentally out of balance or socially out of balance, so you can get into spiritual nutrition. Verse 15. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than all the young men who were eating the king's food. 16, so the steward continued to withhold um, their choice food and the wine that they were to drink, and he said gave them the vegetables. And the four men asked for, so the four men are asking for this test trial period, these 10 days, and Daniel's 10 days is enough for God to prove he is faithful to what he says. They accepted they embraced and they lived out the word of God, the promises of God. And, uh, it was in real life and God rewarded that. And so we, when we accept and we embrace and we live out principles of scripture, God rewards that in our lives. And so we must believe and trust in what God says in the word and we receive that. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave YouTube, listen, especially YouTube because you're young. Okay, God gave knowledge and understanding and every kind of literature and wisdom, and Daniel had insight into all kinds of visions and dreams. Now, just let that sink in: knowledge, understanding, wisdom, insight. These are gifts from God to believers. So. When Jesus told his disciples to ask the father, whatever you want in prayer, and he'll give you to you. ask for the best things. He'll give you the best things. So in our culture, so dominated by, dominated by materialism, we always go to, well, you know, that beach house and I really like that bus car and that's really nice. And those clothes look good. And I'd like to have some new shoes. We always just go to that because of where we are and what we live in. But God really has things that are much better than that to offer. So ask God for the best things and he will give them to you. Knowledge in a situation, wisdom and understanding, insight to know what to do and what to say. And he is faithful and he will give you those things that you really need. So just remember this stuff breaks. I know I'm dealing with a refrigerator right now. It's really frustrating. Stuff gets out of date. It goes out of fashion. Don't ask God for stuff. Don't. Ask God for knowledge and wisdom and understanding and insight. And then ask God to use those things he puts in you for his glory and purposes in his kingdom. Verse 18. Now at the end of the time, specified by the king, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh boy, this is it. It's exam day. Who's ready for the test? Here we go. Right? Verse 19. And the king spoke with them. And among all the young men... He found no one equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the king's service. Now, verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them a little above average. What? Ten times? He found them 10 times better than all the students they were with? No, it's much worse than that. Better than all the current advisors to the king. Better than all the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. Now, so let me ask you this. What if they just said, can we do 20-day tests? Would they have been 20 times better? (laughs) Who knows? So how could this exam day played out? Well, we don't really know. We do see some clues here in the text. In verse 19, it does sound like there's a group introduction. So I'm thinking about logistically, how would you play this out if you're in charge of bringing these young people to the program, introduce them to the king and what you're going to do. So maybe it's like a day in the life with the king and you're a group of young people, you come in a small group and you're shadowing the king and you're listening to what the conversations are that's going on with the issues in the kingdom. And, and the king will just look over and go, okay, so tell me, how what would you do for this approach? Or... What do you think about what he's saying? Do you think he's right? Or how would you do this differently? And so one in my mind, one by one, every day, this group comes in and he's saying, "Okay, you're you're off the island. You're off the island. You're off the island. And he's kicking them out and he's whittling it down to this small group. And these four men, these four faithful young men are who is left standing. So now they go from the group of the trial and exam day. And now they got the real deal. They're here with all the advisors and ministers, the king. And now is where it gets serious. And we'll actually see this played out later on in the book. Because now is when they're going with the entire entourage. And now these boys are showing up everybody. The old guy in the room. The king's favorite. The magicians. The Chaldeans. All these wise men are being put to shame. And... Then we'll see this also in Daniel, I think it's chapter six is where it shows back up where this Daniel ends up in the lion's den because the jealousy that started to breed in these people gets great. In my mind, it gets greater and greater and greater until finally like, we just got to get him out of here. Let's find something. And they frame him and they find, they frame him, they frame him, they frame him him exactly. They frame him by doing what is right. They make what is right wrong. Um bad informers too. So in uh, in uh in uh Judge Bork's book Slouching Towards Gomorrah, he had a quote in there from Charles Krauthammer, and it was something like this, and this is from the nineteen eighties when this quote was made. It's not enough that the deviant and aberrant be accepted. The good and acceptable must be made. Aberrant Mm -hmm. and unacceptable. And that's where we are in culture today. Chuck? Uh,
2: George Will. Yes. uh, ABC comment. He said, There's no behavior so bizarre for which we cannot find some expert from somewhere to justify the whole thing.
0: Yeah. It's really sad. Yes, sir?
2: And I think, as a macro view, as well as our own life, religion and faith is binary. There's only two things, either everything in your, in everything in the world is a miracle or nothing is a miracle. You either subscribe to one of those two things. There's good, there's evil, there's not average. Yeah. Uh, There's the evil one and there's the holy one. And when uh, Thomas Jefferson says there's only two dangers in your life, criminals and the government. And this was, uh, this was a guy.
0: And again, you repeat yourself.
2: This is a guy that is a Democrat. So, uh, He said, government becomes criminal when, he was talking about King George III, when it becomes tyranny and it becomes out of the hands of the people. Government can serve you, and that's what the whole American uh, enterprise is about, is suspecting government of being uh, dangerous. And so we made three forms that would keep each other in check, uh, the, the judiciary, the presidency and the Constitution, each one of them, keep them in check because the government is very dangerous. Yeah. We have seen now how the government <laughs> has become our, our enemy and, and of the most dangerous part. We've seen the DOJ go after people who are anti-abortion or who Catholics who'll be sick. And uh, we've seen the weaponization of not only the DOG but the FBI, which is becoming Like a more, more saucy. Yeah. But in any case, in the book of Daniel, you have this binary going on. You've got King ne- Nebuchadnezzar, who is the government, which is evil and dangerous, confronted by the holy, which is uh, God in, in entering into these boys, and you have this... contest going on, which is a contest going on moment by moment, square inch by square inch in our own lives. It's binary. We have the evil one who's always trying to seduce us. We've got the Holy Spirit who's always trying to empower us, and it never stops. So we need to, like you say, keep... um... By the way, all of you have
3: phones right now in this room. Do I get credit
0: for that? No, it's a listening device. Yep. Okay. Meredith,
3: uh,
1: wasn't it in 1984? And if you haven't read that, at least read it. I mean, it's amazing. Where they said love is hate, war is peace. Yeah, yeah. But it was a mantra that they made everybody. Repeat, yeah, right? it's all
0: completely upside down. Yeah, no, it is. And your your point is in my notes about the um, uh, about the it's an either or equation. There's no both. And did you have something?
4: Yeah, it, was, it still fascinates me that this 16, 17 year old kid. Yeah. Could we stand up all of this? And what did he have imparted in him in a corrupt Jerusalem? Because after all, the government there is the whole reason why they were in this mess in Babylon, because they weren't worshiping Yahweh in Jerusalem. They were (laughs) chasing false gods. Yeah. But anyway, this this whole idea of faith, that, that Daniel had this faith, you get to playing around with the question, what exactly is faith? We throw that word around. You know, I've heard it all my life, but what is faith? And I read, read a definition this week and was reading something and it said, you know, we, we lead young people to believe that this faith that we practice is kind of, you know, grandma's faith is kind of a mythical, yeah. you know, old wives tale, you know, it's believing blind faith, but it isn't blind faith. Our faith is a faith that is based on historical fact the resurrection, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so faith is believing those historical facts. But that doesn't save you. You have to also understand that those historical facts have an effect on mankind. You have to understand that the death and the resurrection is going to reconcile mankind Mm -hmm. with God. And then you have to trust you have to trust that that promise actually applies to
0: you.
2: That's got us.
4: and that is faith. It takes those three elements together. It's not believing in something blindly. It's not believing in something that has no effect in the real world, and it's not believing in something that that doesn't have an
3: impact. On we
0: are um, we're getting ready. We're 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 moving into worship time. I'm sorry, Glenn.
3: Real quick. Uh, yes, sir. "Marching Towards the War" is a fantastic book. I got the book, but I spent more time trying to understand the language. <laughs> you know, I gave it to Jim Roberts, and he read right through it. He understood the language. But what are you? One thing, mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate you sending out the notes. Yes. And the hot links to stuff. Yes. All right. Obviously, you could be convicted of plagiarism.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would never serve as President at harvard, so uh let us let us pray and i would I would challenge you to read the last two the closing challenge um that you would need to read that, and I would just close with this part of it by saying this that um the same people at the end of the captivity of Babylon had to face a choice as to whether when they were allowed to leave, if they would take that long journey. And forsake everything they knew and saw to go across that desert to reclaim that place that was theirs. And today, we as a people, as a church, as a nation, as a family, even as a person, we face that same question today. Are you ready? Are you prepared for the long journey that's going to move America away from being a nation of Babylon to being the nation pleasing in the sight of God? And it's a long journey and there will be dark nights and there'll be bandits along the way. And not all of us will live to see the restoration of righteousness in our nation. The question really is when you meet God, what are you going to be willing to say? Or what do you want to be able to say to him? Are you going to want to say that, you know, um, we had a nice house and we had a nice job and I just stayed quiet so I could get my pension and move along with my neighbors and not get fined by the HOA or lose my life, lose my livelihood? Or you can going to be able to say to God, I'm sorry we didn't get to where we wanted to be, but I did everything along the way while I was there to make it happen. And I hope you're pleased with what I did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Daniel, and we look forward to this study. And let your Spirit prick our hearts and move us to raise our voices, to not be silent when things are lies to speak truth into those situations, to exhibit the principles of your word in the lives of our lives and people around us. Give us your power in the Holy Spirit to do that. To the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.